for joining us again. You were kind enough last year uh, to uh, give us an insight into the 2022 Basel AML Index. And obviously, you folks have just published the 2023 edition. And so um, I wanted to ask you, obviously, a number of questions in it. Obviously, some of the, the key themes uh, that you folks have mentioned is that the risk level has actually increased over the past year. So I want to talk about that. But just just briefly, uh, for those that may not be aware, uh, the Basel Institute on Governance, just generally, uh, what's what's been their mission? You know, I know you folks are do many, many things, but just generally, what's the mission of of the Institute? Uh, thank you, thank you, and it's my pleasure to have this conversation today and uh, shortly tr to remind you about the Basel Institute on Governance is an independent, not-for-profit competence centre and it works around the world to strengthen governance and counter corruption. Uh, we have around five main areas of work, which is asset recovery, public governance, private sector, green corruption, and public finance management. It's just general uh, directions where we work, but for sure we have many teams under each and every of this direction. Great, thank you so much. Um, so going to the, to the index, uh, the key themes that you folks have mentioned with the release of this report is that the risk level has increased. I want to talk about that, but also just generally, uh, the index is a um, combination of 18 indicators that measure various factors. Without going through all, uh, all 18, just in general, uh, give us a sense of how the index is assessed. So they go, they look at these factors and then you folks, again, you're independent, you're not affiliated with any of these countries, you make a decision based on those factors on what that particular country's risk levels are. So just in general, give us give us an example, high, very high level, not of a country specifically, but sort of what you look at in terms of those factors. Yeah, thank you. You are absolutely right that it's a composite index. We do not create uh, data by ourselves. We use the data from already existing reputable sources. And data is not just a, any kind of soup it's it's a very specific recipe be behind it and it is to answer the question what is the high risk jurisdiction so these 18 indicators are grouped in a way uh, around five domains to answer what is the high risk and it is the shortfalls in aml cft systems in the country high corruption and bribery, low public and financial transparency, and high political and legal risks. So this is the main methodology, a main line of thinking. And if we uh, talk about the overall score, this is the score which is assessed within these five different domains and is based on 18 different indicators. So basically, the index gives you the possibility to see what is underlining uh, indicators and where specifically these or those country have its strongest deficiencies or where it's doing rather well. Uh, this is um, in order to follow the risk-based approach, so the countries know how to address the deficiencies and where specifically they have to accommodate most of their resources to which high area risks. 
And yeah, we identify just generally the risk in AMLs, uh, in Basel AML index as jurisdiction's vulnerability to MLTF and its capacity to counter it. So it's both sides of the coin. And for sure, it is not intended to measure any actual amount of MLTF activity in any given jurisdiction. So here it's very, we are very cautious to emphasize this every time. Uh, what is new this year, you know, because every year we try to follow uh, and check our methodology. And this year, what is new, the first thing uh, we severely increased our country coverage ba based on more available data from FATF. And this year we have 25 countries plus. Uh, most of them are from the Sub-Saharan Africa, 10 countries, then Latin America, six, Western Europe, three, Eastern Europe, two, Middle East, two, and East Asian Pacific, two. So we increase the country coverage. What else? Uh, we also address the issue of effectiveness for those countries that were graduated from the gray list because FATF doesn't reassess the effectiveness even after the countries are out of the gray list. And we know that we have the empirical data that countries do a lot of work to, to be delisted based on their working plan and the fact that FATF state they, the country conducted its all items of its working plan. So based on that, we decided that those countries that get out of the list will get better score in their effectiveness uh, if before they had the low level of effectiveness, at least we put them moderate level of effectiveness to reflect on their progress and their uh, work that has been done. So the um, so I'm going to ask I was going to ask you at some point, but you, you've already addressed it. You know, what can you do in a jurisdiction to to respond to this data? So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think that's a good starting off point what you just mentioned so the overall risk level went from 5.25 to 5.31 and it's out of 10 um and then you've already mentioned some of the the reasons for that you call those the the, the domains and you, and you already mentioned corruption and bribery transparency uh political legal risk the question i want to question on financial transparency is that an indication based on um, strength or lack of strength of uh, like beneficial ownership rules uh, or what sort of rep record keeping and reporting? What, what do you folks mean by financial transparency when you when you grade a jurisdiction on that? Uh, first of all, about risk level. Uh, so here we uh, talk about average level for all the countries assessed. And as I mentioned, it might be also an impact of the increased country coverage, you know, that may also have an impact on the average score. Uh, what we see here is that basically in four out of five domains where we looked at, we see the increase in risks. 
and the highest increase as of now in the is in the domain for bribery and corruption. Uh, when we talk about uh, uh, financial transparency, it is not that much about uh, uh, transparency of beneficial ownership because transparency of beneficial ownership is partially co covered in the FATF data and financial secrecy data. Here we talk more about the existing financial standards in the country. So how strong they are, how transparent they are. It is not specifically uh, on the transparency of beneficial ownership. It's more a uh, complex uh, picture. Sure. Uh, we also see yeah, increase in uh, such domains as legal and political risks, financial transparency and public transparency that we already mentioned. As of quality of AML CFT framework, here is a bit static. Um, we see it's the number uh, last year we had 546 and this year we have 5.62. So it might be seen as a slight increase, but it is so, so, so minimum that we are more talking about static here. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we we talked offline before we started the interview on a couple of the what your guys are calling the topics in the news. So I want to cover those mainly that some that FATF has already has opined on some of the things that you folks have called out. But you mentioned three items, and so I'd like to get your take on that. That's in the report. So we obviously we encourage everybody to download and read the entire report not just the summary, not just the press release, but to actually go in and, and to better understand both the analysis and then we'll talk later how these jurisdictions can continue to improve themselves in areas of, of uh, noted deficiency. But one of the three topics that you folks mentioned is technology. So the question is, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of conversation in the past couple of years uh, about cryptocurrency and, you know, issues related to that. So um, what's, what is Basel's view in general on uh, understanding financial crime through cryptocurrency? It sound, seems like we have, a, we have a long way to go, but you definitely have focused on that's one of the areas that can improve a country's response to AMLCTF, right? Yeah, I, I will probably sound too banal to say that it's a complex picture. So let's start with the numbers and with the data. Uh, we started to look at this uh, topic specifically on virtual assets in uh, 2021 when we first uh, tried to look at how countries responding to this transcend recommendation from FATF, uh, which increased the standards and started to cover virtual assets and virtual assets providers. At that time, we fixed the uh, performance uh, in uh, at third, uh, sorry at 63 percent. It's in technical compliance, which meant that 63 percent of countries uh, it was the compliance overall. Uh, this year, we tried to repeat this exercise. Indeed, we had more countries and increased coverage, but what we found out that compliance level in these two years dropped from 63 to 43, so in 20%. 
So why did it happen? For sure, the recommendation, the standard was strengthened and it required from countries more and more efforts to respond to the new standards of FATF. So all the new countries that were assessed after 2018, when the standard was introduced, they got lower scores in recommendation 15. Moreover, those countries that went through the follow-up report, they managed to degrade in the score. So they, the score was pushed down for these countries. And um, basically, we are talking about around 30% of countries that went down in their follow-up reports, specifically in recommendation 15. So currently we are at so-called baseline, you know, when we know that almost all countries are assessed with the new standard or it, they are assessed through the follow-up reports. So we are standing at the level of 43% uh, in compliance. What does it mean? It's the second lowest level out of all 40 recommendations, second lowest currently. Uh, but uh, there are some reasons to be optimistic. So we know that countries need time to adopt uh, their responses to the new standard, uh, and it will probably improve in certain period of time. But what is uh, less, what is more realistically that we see is that countries started to harmonize their legislation. We need this, we see this initiative on the EU level, we see these initiatives and other uh, countries that are the leaders in, in these areas. And here is always the question, but how to regulate? Do we regulate it too loosely, too tightly, or just in the right way? And there we have to think about risk-based approach and the risks that each and every jurisdiction faces itself. And for sure, we have some examples of enforcement successes in certain countries in terms of cryptocurrency. So this brings us a bit into optimistic side. So let's see what happened further and how the harmonized legislation will be really put in place and enforced. So, so it's clear that the, the report uh, is both useful to institutions to better understand uh, sort of the reaction that you have as an independent organization, but also the government. So I, I think that's that's interesting. Qu quick side question, and I didn't ask you this last year either. When you do your report, do you um, uh, do you uh, respond to questions from the do the jurisdictions ever sort of raise their hand and say to you, hey, wh why did you give us this or that? Or you're, you're again, you're independent. So is there a is there a relationship with some of these jurisdictions? Do you uh, tell them in advance what their ratings are? I'm sure you uh, I would assume you don't. But just in general, how do you interact with the jurisdictions that you're rating, if if at all? I mean, you're using independently uh, you know, publicly sourced information. So you said that already. But is there any uh, interaction with the jurisdictions? Uh, we have questions mostly after the public release, uh, why we got this score. A very often question why our neighbors got better score right. and uh, it's always about uh, neighboring relations. 
but sometimes okay. we also uh, get the question what we can do to improve our school and then specifically it's uh, a very deep discussion about where what are the areas where you have the highest risk and it's up to you to improve your policies and for for and this has to be retranslated in the indicators that we use so I cannot have any specific approach to any specific country. So it is only managed on uh, the uh, interpartial and absolutely neutral approach to any country. Once we had a difficult discussion with one jurisdiction, they tried to uh, uh, convince that they are doing much better in terms of uh, being major money laundering jurisdictions in terms of narcotic uh, trafficking. This is the indicator we used. And they um, advised me to read carefully through the report itself. And my only answer is that until you are in this list, you know, there is no progress. You know, when you are out of the list, then I can fix there is a progress. And this is very uh, strict approach. And uh, we treat uh, all countries uh, with the same approach. That's perfect. I, I, I assume that was the case. I wanted to give you the chance to talk about it because I think that's what makes the index so valuable because it obviously is totally independent. There were two more uh, topics I wanted to cover briefly that were also called out by you folks. And this, this and we also chatted about this before we got online. Um, the one that talks about cutting off funds for terrorists, but as importantly, you say, but not civilians. So we know that with recommendation eight by FATF, we know that uh, here in the US and globally, there's been constant challenges of both trying to uh, mitigate risk of entities that could be used by terrorists, but also not uh, preventing financial access or financial inclusion to those that need access to, uh, you know, banking services. So that's also something that you folks call out, both the need to make sure that you're preventing terrorist financing uh, through what you call bogus NPOs, but more importantly, in, in the case of humanitarian groups, use that risk-based approach and not cut off funding for whole classes. So that's obviously been a focus of the index. And, and in general, when we want folks to read the report, what are they going to discover? And you already mentioned again before we jumped on that FATF has, has also made the updates to Recommendation 8. So that's that's a valuable change as well. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, we uh, identify this topic as one of the key issue in the AML CFT system based on the data that we uh, use uh, from FATF in our Basel AML index. And we found out that out of 40 recommendations, the lowest level of compliance is specifically in recommendation eight. So in terms of NPO, and this is 41%. And I I have to emphasize that there is no drop like we saw in uh, terms of uh, uh, crypto assets. Here, this low uh, level of compliance is quite static. And uh, we try to look at uh, 
what are the reasons for that and what are the implications? And we found out uh, such a huge topic on unintended consequences of application of FATF standards, which for sure FATF itself is aware of. And there are a number of uh, organization or organized coalition uh, to raise awareness about the unintended consequences of specifically this recommendation eight. So uh, what uh, we saw uh, last week, as you mentioned, it's the decision of FATF to amend um, the content of recommendation eight to make it more as you would say it uh, user friendly so to uh, avoid the risks associated with unintended consequences and there are several key changes first uh, FATF identify specifically to which type of NPO this recommendation would be applied so it's not the wide range of uh, NPOs working globally. It's specifically those that are legal persons or arrangements or organizations that primarily engage in raising or distributing funds for purposes such as charitable, religious, cultural, educational, social purposes, or for carrying out of other types of good work. So this slightly narrow, even though it still covers a lot of organization, but they slightly narrow. Uh, then it is important that not all of these NPOs are seen as high risk. There should be a national risk assessment to say what out of all these NPOs, which of them, what type are the high risk and only to that high risk NPOs, they are to apply the standard. It's a lot in this uh, new um, note uh, on the recommendation explanatory note, a lot about risk-based approach and proportionate actions that have to be taken. And it's an interesting kind of innovation in this recommendation. It is about self-regulatory measures or internal control measures that NPO are expected to apply to themselves. There is one uh, probably uh, point missing, which is to ensure a share of knowledge between NPO, financial institutions and national uh, authorities. So financial institution and NPO can understand both each other so what to expect from each other and national authorities have to give provide recommendations for both financial sector and NPO how to act uh, in in a in a symbiotic way uh, not to to have any disruptions of legal uh, activities of NPO that's interesting because uh, about four or five years ago we wrote a report we being the financial sector and humanitarian groups that said exactly that, right? That said that charities needed to better understand what the financial institution challenges were to risk manage. Financial institutions need to better understand how these charities are self-regulated and governments needed to understand too that 
uh, the risk-based approach is the only way to deal with this. And proportionality that you mentioned was a key key driver. So that was something that we worked on with the World Bank and with, like I said, with the public sector. So obviously key. One, one last point I'd like you to uh, talk a bit about, and that's confiscation of assets. That's also something that FATF has weighed in on, but that's another topic that the report uh, took, as they say, a deep dive into. Just high level, what what did you find with that and what are some of the broader recommendations uh, related to the index regarding confiscation? Yeah, thank you. Uh, In this case, uh, it's again, there were amendments to the recommendation of FATF on asset recovery adopted last week. So it again uh, proves that uh, topic is super important. So uh, we looked at confiscations from uh, several aspects. First, as uh, do countries have enough legal instruments to uh, confiscate assets, to first to trace them, then to confiscate them? And the answer is yes, they do. Uh, if, and it's on a very good level. Uh, of compliance with FATF standards. Then we looked at the second area. So how countries are doing in terms of mutual legal assistance on uh, asset freeze orders and uh, confiscation. There, the situation is uh, less rosy. And we see that uh, there are several aspects that may be lacking in different uh, countries' legislative regimes, such as uh, do they have enough capacity to manage these assets? Uh, Do they have enough uh, legal background to share these assets with the countries that requested the mutual legal assistance and many other questions? And then we looked at the third area on how effective is all that. And there we found out that it's not (laughs) that optimistic picture at all. So what we see now is that the countries have sufficient legal instruments, but there is a lack of enforcement behind that and this lack of effectiveness on how these legal instruments are used. So if we look at what were amended in the recommendation, there are several uh, things. One of them that uh, civil-based confiscation is now included as a must to the uh, FATF standard. Uh, It's non-conviction-based forfeiture. Uh, then it is also a new instrument for law enforcement to suspend or stop financial transaction if they see that it's suspicious. They got this new right based on the new amendments. And it's also about uh, international cooperation and uh, uh, requirements uh, to uh, harmonize court decision between countries in terms of asset recovery. So we see a move here. It's not, again, revolutionary. Uh, as you mentioned with NPO, maybe the answers were known before, but at least we see there is a progress and there are uh, new uh, requirements to the countries. And what is more important, it is not 
enough now to have just legislation necessary to trace and confiscate assets, but FATF states that it has to be a policy and a very high priority in the country. So it has to move in more practical terms. Uh, Katharina, this has been really, really valuable and really appreciate you uh, sharing this with us. I got one more question. Uh, you've been managing this project since 2017. And as you mentioned, while the risk ra ranking went up just a bit, it's basically s static. Um, uh, are you optimistic just in general that jurisdictions will continue to try to improve? Obviously, FATF is even more active than they were, say, a decade ago in terms of all the reports they produce and the recommendations. And, and I know your role is to look at the data and publish the report. But personally, do you see, do you see improvement just in general? I don't, I don't mean from statistics, but just in terms of jurisdictions taking these things seriously, perhaps more than more than they did years ago. What's your, what's your overall view of the of the broad based AML CTF community? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, we are talking about certain jurisdiction that uh, may be taking this uh, um, aspects more seriously, the AML-CFT. Uh, we see that there is a lot of ex higher expectations from compliance officers. So obviously, uh, this, there is much more things we see now that we could see in 2017, but I think that the most important here is not to do more, but to do better. What we see now, we are doing more, but it is the question, are we doing better? And I think that this move from being just technical compliant or doing more to being more effective or doing better, that is the most important what we are lacking. And I think this is a difficult task to reach even in six or seven years. Maybe right. we need uh, decades for this, but uh, we are on a track and uh, we just need more time and we need to do better, not more. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So uh, baselgovernance.org is the website. Besides the report, there's information, as uh, Katarina has talked about, about asset recovery, governance, green corruption. Also, the, uh, the organization does events, it does training, so it works with jurisdictions that are trying to improve. Uh, but uh, Katarina, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Uh, urge everybody to read the report. And uh, you know, if your jurisdiction needs assistance, there's a lot of information out there that can help you improve the areas where there's been some deficiency. So thanks so much. Thank you.